I found out Wednesday through Friday. Wednesday, we're still hoping he could preach. And then uh, Friday, for sure, Luis couldn't come. And so I'm trying to appreciate the sovereignty of God. Why is it that he would want me to bring a message to you this morning? And what message would he want us to look at? So I pay attention to who you are and what he has been saying to us as a congregation in the past weeks and how I might continue that discussion. And we've been talking about us as a body and as a family and loving one another and, and, and desiring to improve in our way that we love one another. And so I was, a um, couple of things coming together, but basically there's a passage in First Thessalonians that we had looked at uh, during our time in the New Testament survey, and also Luis preached about it back in August. And he, he spoke about the importance of a father in, in, in a family and the, the love of the father. And he mentioned that the father is a teacher and the father trains and the father repeats himself. So I have no problem repeating this, pas- this uh, passage and this truth uh, because it's necessary. And I'm sure that if I excused all of you who remember the message he preached in August, none of you would be excused. <laughs> so anyways, <clears throat> we'll be in chapter two of 1 Thessalonians looking at verses 10 through 12. This is from the New American Standard. <clears throat> it says, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We are lost without it. You have spoken through all the generations truth to your children whom you love, instructions on how we are to live and how we are to interact in a way that honors you. And these truths uh, change us. They, they cause us to think differently. They cause us to make choices that reflect the knowledge of these truths. And we pray that you would just imprint them in our souls and in our minds this morning so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the God who called us into his glorious light. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this passage um, is a sermon in and of itself. As you can see, we'll look at the who, the what, the how, and the why of these, this truth. We know that this is a letter to the church of Thessalonica. If you're in the New Testament class, you know that that's a church that Paul helped found. He got started uh, as a young church. They were faithful. They were uh, a blessing to him. They were a haven where he could go. Uh, eventually, he had to move on because of persecution that was coming to him, and he went to Berea. If you remember, it's described in the book of Acts, but he maintained a good relationship with the people of Thessalonica, and he wrote them two letters. Um, this is from the second one, obviously, and this was, this. I mean, no, this is from the first one, but so this letter was not too long after he had left them. He was in Corinth when he wrote this letter, and it was basically a young church experiencing some difficulty because of the persecution that was on them, and, and he's just wanting to encourage them to be, remain holy and to walk with God. 
And so when he describes this in this passage, his relationship with them, they would be remembering that this was interaction that was not too old. And so when he speaks of you are witnesses and, and so is God, he's talking about we, we spent time together and what I'm telling you is something you could testify to. So we know the who is Paul, but he's described, he says we in the verse, in the first verse there in verse 10, we is that leadership group. And he's describing them using these adverbs of the way that he interacted with them. So this team was defined in a way of who they were by what they did. And so it speaks to he, how devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave towards you. So to describe their activity with the Thessalonians, they were devout, upright, and blameless. Your version might use, they all say blameless, but it might say righteous or just or holy. But the idea is the same. This this idea of single-mindedness. They, and this, he says, we did this. And Paul's not speaking and just saying, I was devout and upright and blameless, but we were as a team. And so if you've ever worked in a ministry team or worked with people, in order to be consistent, there would be discussions and prayers amongst this team to focus on as we minister, we need to have the, the mindset that we're going to be devout, blameless, and upright in the way that we interact with folks. We're going to make sure that our behavior is blameless in the way that we approach them. And so we're checking each other and we're praying about it and we're approaching them so that we can make this claim. This is a claim that they could make with confidence. And, and it's important that as, you, as Paul does this, that single-mindedness is to the purpose of what he's trying to accomplish. And Paul would say in Colossians, his purpose is to present every man complete in Christ. He's going to love them in such a way that they're being sanctified and being, becoming more like Christ. That was his purpose. And so that would have been their purpose. And he says to the Philippians, join in following my example. And, in, and observe those who walk in the pattern you have in us. So not only is this the behavior that they had towards the Thessalonians, but this is the behavior that he represented to them so that they would have that same pattern. Join in following my example. Be like this towards one another. This is how we need to love one another with a single-mindedness of purpose. Uh, I don't remember, maybe last summer when we talked about loving the way that Jesus loved, the love that Jesus had for the disciples was always in the, in the desire to see them grow in Christ, sanctification. That was always his love. And so if we love each other, our love is going to improve your sanctification. It's going to be about your growth in Christ. That's what our love is going to focus on. That's what we're going to try and accomplish as we're ministering to you. And that's what they did with a singleness of purpose. So they were a group who were devout upright, and blameless. That's who they were. What did they do? If you read on in the verse, it said, we blamelessly behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you. That's, again, you might, your Bible might say comfort, urge, charge, implore, of those three words, but the idea of exhorting, encouraging, and imploring each one of you. This is what they did. So with that singleness of mind, of being holy and upright and blameless in the way that they approached them, they did these things. And to each one of you. So there's a sense, this is application. 
You understand? This is application of comfort. Someone needs to be comforted, and these men would respond and comfort that person. They would apply that. It's, when I took a, a first aid class, they, they, they would teach you to examine a wound, and it would be by virtue of the examination you determine which remedy you're going to bring, or the symptoms of heat stroke versus heat exhaustion and those kinds of things. Pay attention to these things, and now you know how to respond, what kind of treatment that you give. This is the same idea, is that the, these men, as they minister to the Thessalonians, they're going to minister appropriately. Do you need to be exhorted? Do you need to be implored, urged? Do you need to be comforted? What is it that you need? And so there was a, a skill set involved to know this is what you're going through, and so this is the applicable skill set to help you. If you've ever been comforted by someone who knows what they're doing, it's such a blessing. You walk away knowing, I, I'm, I'm experiencing a confidence in God, a hope in God, a trust in God. If you've ever been exhorted by someone who knows what they're doing, and, and I needed that. That's a kick in the pants that I really needed to turn me around. I, 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 it was so helpful to me. You're not mad about it, you know, because they do it well. And, and so whatever it is, that, whatever skill that is necessary, you're applying it, this is what they were doing. And again, join in following my example. It's something that we need to do for each other. And you may be good at this, or you may not, may not be good at it. But the way to get better at it is to do it. To do it. Don't think that you shouldn't. There are people who need to be ministered to, and the elders can't minister to everybody. We can't comfort everybody. We can't urge and, 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 and exhort everybody. But as a congregation, First Bilingual can minister to all of us. We can minister to each other's needs and pay attention to each other's needs. We'd be looking to see who needs to be comforted, who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be exhorted, corrected. However it is that there is a need, if you're paying attention to look around and see, then you approach them with a heart to do that. With a single-mindedness, with a blameless, upright, devout attitude, you're going to accomplish that purpose. So you're attending to the needs of the brethren is what they did. So who they were were these devout, holy men, blameless men. What they did was in exhorting, encouraging, imploring, they attended to the needs of the brethren. That's what they did. But now, he says, how did they do it? And I was so blessed by this. And this is the heart behind why I felt we needed to hear this this morning. That each one of you encouraging, imploring each other, each one of you as a father would his own children. As a father would his own children. This is not the heavenly father ministering to you. This is an example that Paul's calling upon them to think about. How does a father apply these skill set? We met yesterday some of the men from the church uh, yesterday morning and we were discussing our own fathers. And our experiences weren't something we would applaud. Our, our, you know, we love our dads, I guess, but someone didn't even know their dads. Our relationships were either very formal, uh, not a lot of personal interaction. Uh, I've known men and boys when I was younger who had a great relationship with their father, and it was always, it was unusual, but it was amazing. And those guys always had such confidence, you know? And it was, a, it was a different human that you dealt with who had a good relationship with his dad. 
This father that's being described here is like the heavenly father. It would be attributes that you would attribute to the father who is doing his duty as a, as a godly man. And so what are those attributes? Is this is, he would be each one of you. It's the father is ministering to each one in a personal way, in a way that understands and knows the one that he's ministering to as a father knows his own children. The, the boys used to ask me which one of them I loved the most. And I always always say, whoever was sitting closest to me, I would say him. The one that's closest to me is the one I love the most. You know? And, but in, in truth, I love my sons, I love my grandchildren. Any one of them would be enough. But I'm, I just am amazed by them and blessed by them. And, and, and I can't say, you know, how I could measure that love against each other. It's just not possible. But the love for them is individual. It's for who they are as an individual. And they're so different. They're so different. You know, uh, one of the reasons Dusty was born was we wondered, what, how could he be so different? Because Casey and Artie were so different. How could, what would Dusty be like, you know? And he came out so different, you know? And, and they all are. And you love them differently and you know them differently. And that's the idea that he's talking here is a father loves, that's how we love, that you're not loved anonymously and you're not loved with this generic, you know, love all, fits, size fits all, you know, kind of a love, but a love that knows who you are, what you're going through, and then applies the proper uh, uh, remedy to, or, to that situation and loves you skillfully as a father would love, with a knowledge and, a, and an appreciation for who you are. And then a father also would pay attention and have a heart that is for your good and for your success. Your dad wants you to succeed. Your father wants you to succeed. He, he speaks to you for your good. And if you understand that, as a father would approach you that way, you're more willing to accept correction Accept exhortation, accept instruction from someone who you're trusting that they, they're on my side. They want what's best for me. They want me to succeed. They know me. And they're wanting to push me in a direction that is useful for my sense, for my purposes in sanctification to God's glory. That, that developing that kind of a trust and a love with another. And this is not just speaking to fathers. This is the example he's giving for the way that all of us love all of us. That we're invested in each other in that way. So that when somebody is coming to you and trying to uh, encourage you and exhorting you, they're putting you themselves on the line. It's not an easy thing to correct somebody. But if they're doing it and you understand they're doing it out of a love for you, it makes a difference. They, if, you've ever been, if you've ever been loved by somebody and they did, exhorted by somebody and they did it badly, you know, and they could have said that better, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a sense where they're learning to do it and they'll get better, but you also learned, you just learned in that interaction what you can do differently when you exhort somebody. In, in every interaction, there's a learning process so that we could be more effective at doing this as a father would. But to appreciate and to trust that when someone from the congregation is approaching you and concerned for you and loving you, they're doing with a heart for you, like a father would have a heart for you, to, for your success. And the other aspect of the father would be he has a sense of responsibility. And I think that's a charge to us as a church 
to be thinking along the lines that we're responsible for each other. We're responsible for each other. And we get that sense with our own family, you know, after the service when the grandchildren start running around, we know who they belong to and we're paying attention to who's doing what. And, and if one of them's, you know, doing something that we need to stop them, if we feel comfortable, we'll stop them. If not, we make eye contact with their parent and the parent takes care of it because they feel responsible for their children. There's a sense where Paul is using this example for you and for me so that we would feel responsible for each other. Who amongst us, this, fa- this family of children of God, who amongst us is not important to God? Who amongst us is someone that we can neglect and be okay with it? Who amongst us is someone that needs to fight through these battles on their own? There's none. We are children of God. We're special to God. We've been made in the image of God. We've been saved by the blood of Christ and we belong to him. And so each one of us is valuable and important. And we need to feel responsible for each other. And, and the way you do that, obviously, is going to have to know how you're doing, how things are going, what's going on. And, and, and some of you are more skilled than others at seeing somebody and saying, something's wrong there, something's off. You know, I need to find out, you know. And either by yourself or with somebody, you go and you approach them and how can I help? What's going on? You know, and, but taking responsibility, I've seen it. I've seen how they act. I've seen how they usually act. I've seen the difference. Or I see that they're not here. Whatever it may be, I'm paying attention because I feel responsible for them. That's the way a father loves. If your child is missing, you go find them. If your brother and sister Christ is missing, if you're going to love the way that a father loves, you go find them. You love them and you, you have patience with them, but you go with them with that connection that sh- demonstrates that they matter to you as a person intimately. They matter to you as you desire for their success and for their well-being. And they matter to you because you feel responsible for them as a brother and sister in Christ. So that's how they do it, like a father would. It's how we love each other. That's not an easy thing to do, and it's not something that'll just come naturally, and it's not something you do uh, because the opportunity presents itself. This is something that requires eyes up, examining, looking around the room, seeing who's here, seeing their demeanor, seeing their heart, knowing their lives. It requires us to know who's not here and calling them this evening, this afternoon, and saying, hey, you know, I saw you weren't here. I know a lot of people are sick. Are you one of them? Can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? It requires a, an attention to one another that'll demonstrate that love. I mean, can you imagine? You, you hear the idea of a neglectful father, a father who doesn't care about his children, and, and he doesn't check on them, and he doesn't care what they do. You know, you know that's, that's not a good father, and that's not how he loves. A good father knows where his kids are. He knows how they're doing. He's paying attention to the details of their lives. And we, if we're going to love in that way, need to be the same with each other. And we are good at that, in a sense, with those who we're near to. Those who we have a relationship with already, being family members or friends, or we're connected to each other in a, in a, in a family life group, or however it is that you're connected, we're good at that. But there are, there are there some amongst us who aren't connected, and they're being neglected. And how is it that we're, we can allow that as fathers, as loving like fathers, 
How can we allow that? We need to pursue those people. God never intended for anyone to go through Christianity and to go through problems and go through struggles alone. He never intended that. You go through them together. We carry each other's burdens and, and, and do so with a heart that says, I'm looking, I'm looking to make sure everyone's okay. We went on a mission trip once up in uh, San Jose and uh, Mark Goodman was there and he has four kids and he was standing out there watching them play. And I went over to him and I said, you're counting to four, right? And he knew exactly what I was talking about. One, two, three, four, they're all okay. He's counting his kids, right? And I said, well, one of the ladies is going to go work in the dental shop and she has three kids and so I need you to count to seven now. And so that was our conversation. He was counting to seven. So he was counting her kids too to make sure all of them were okay. And that was his job. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And she, and she I told her, Mark's counting your kids. And she was comfortable. They're going to be okay. You know, he, had, he took responsibility for those kids especially. You know, who is it, how is it that we're taking responsibility as a congregation? Paying attention. God will show you. There's somebody. I'm not sure who they're connected with. I'm not sure how they're doing. I don't see them often enough. You know, how can I minister to them? What can we do to connect with them? I need to be responsible for them. God has put them on my heart. How can I ignore that? And, and I need to love them in the way that we describe those words of encouragement and imploring, urging, and learning to do that better. And, and if I experience it in a negative way, I'm not going to take and, 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 and punish that person for the way that they do it, but I'm going to learn from that experience to love them better. I am responsible for the way that I love them. And I am more efficient in the way that I love them and how well I know them. But there are folks who you will approach who you haven't seen in a while and you're encouraging them and you want to you want to see them you want them to be here and they will still not come and they will still reject you and they will still be very standoffish however they respond it's not going to be something you can control that's the holy spirit is working in all of our lives and as the holy spirit works in your life he 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 prepares people to respond in in a positive way but not always are they ready and and you you are charged to love them. How they respond is going to be up to them and up to God and his spirit. And, and, you can, and your response after that is to continue to love them for their benefit and for their good. How can I encourage them for their benefit and their good? If you go with an expectation that somehow you're going to do this and you're going to be blessed in it and, 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 and it's going to give you a, a wonderful feeling of having done this, and if that's what you're after, then you, that's not the heart of a father. The heart of the father is not for how he will feel. The heart of the father is for the benefit of the one being loved. That's what agape love is, the benefit of the one being loved. So I might get beat up in the transaction. But that's okay. You know, the father who sent me, the father who loves me, still loves me. He sent me. And sometimes you get beat up. I mean, he, he didn't have to... How, 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 more, how 
He made it so clear for us to understand that the way you think that he would function is not the way that he functions. When you see in the very beginning, a man like Stephen, the Bible says, full of faith, full of learning, he professed the entirety of the history of Israel in a sermon and then professed Christ to these people who were perishing and he professed it so that they would come to know Christ and they threw rocks at him until he died and God allowed it. And God allowed it. And Stephen, he was ready. He said, don't hold this against them. You know, I I hope that makes you sit down and think, how can a person be like that? Well, that's what he was like. And God prepared him and made his heart like that. You will get rocks thrown at you. Maybe not literally, but it'll happen as you endeavor to minister. But as a minister the way the Father does, you don't quit. Do you think, how can I going to approach this in a way that will be effective? You continue to approach them for their benefit, even if it costs you, even if it's rough for you, even if it's difficult for you. Their success, their good is your concern. It's God's concern. Your situation as a person and child of God, you're covered. You're going to heaven. So if you get beat up on this earth and things happen to you while you're here, that's part of being a Christian. But if you let that stop you, I don't know how you can not see that that's going to happen. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what happens to the ministers of God. They get beat up. They, They have to deal with things and get past them. This isn't why I'm doing it so that I can feel good about what I'm doing. I'm doing it for the benefit of the one God has sent me to. He made me aware of their circumstance and he wants me to minister to them. And how they respond only will help me think, now how can I do it again? And with persistency. I have ministered to men in this church who have rejected me and pushed me away and even cursed at me and over time, continuing to love them, continuing to encourage them. They come around and now they honor and they love God. You know, but it took a long time and took some abuse. And if I, you know, in my own self would have said, uh, you know, okay, forget you then, you know, a normal response, that God would have had to use somebody else. But knowing that God is encouraging us to be responsible to love them And that's our role, and that's who we're interacting with, with God, as we love them effectively and efficiently. Then how they respond only helps us to better think, okay, this isn't going well. There may be a different approach. There may be somebody else that needs to approach them, but they still need to be loved, and I still need to figure out a way to accomplish that, that steadfastness, singleness of mind. And, 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 and be, I'm prepared to get beat up because that happens as we minister. Some of it will be very pleasant and there won't be any beating up, but I just want you to be prepared for what could happen as you minister to folks, knowing that God is working and you're praying for them, praying for them so that God will accomplish his purposes. At the end, so we have the who, these men who were blameless upright and devout. We have what they did, encourage, exhort, and implore how they did it the way a father would. And then why? Let's look at the very end of the verse. Why did they do it? So that. Those are always wonderful words in the scriptures because 
Clearly, it's the indication of the reason. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You know, it's really hard when you get a passage like that because these, these have become religious words, churchy words, worthy of, walk in a manner worthy of the glory of our God. Walk in a manner worthy. Those are throwaway words that are often used and, then, and not reflected upon the, what they truly mean. But the understanding of this word shouldn't, and the repetition of this word worthy in the sentence shouldn't diminish over time. It should grow over time. The worth of a God who is God, who is the creator God of all things, who is almighty, all-powerful, ever-present, and loving, that God who was willing to sacrifice himself for my sins and, and, and took the step of becoming a man and humiliating himself and then being killed on a cross, that man has value beyond your understanding. So the word worthy grows with the understanding of who Christ is. And with each sin that you commit and I commit, each sin that we bring before the Lord in confession, recognizing that how much we needed him in order for us to experience the righteousness of Christ, each one should increase the value, the worthiness of the God who we serve. He, he, this expression of manner worthy of God should be something that raises a bar beyond what we can do, but that's what we aspire to. I want to demonstrate that I understand your value. I understand who you are. I understand how great, how unattainable your purity and your holiness is, and that you have accomplished in me something that couldn't be done any other way. And now I want to walk in a way that demonstrates that I understand that. I want to walk, mean live, make choices, spend my money, spend my time. I'm going to walk in a way that demonstrates I understand the worthiness of this God. He is worth more than anything. In the psalm, it says, more precious than jewels, more valuable than anything you could desire. This God is the one you want to walk worthy of. And when God sees us make choices that value things that are not single-minded purpose of honoring Christ, that are amusements that just distract us and use up our time and don't accomplish the purposes of God, when he sees us give value and worth to those things, we're taking the value and worth away from him and putting him on these things, that's a reason to fall on our knees and ask God to forgive us for our sins. I'm not walking in a manner worthy of you. I'm walking in a, like mere men. I look like the world. The choices I make look like their choices. And so I cannot, what I've just explained to you, what Paul expressed in this verse, the way that you are to love somebody requires the entirety of your life in order to do it well. What I've just explained to you, what Paul wrote to us in these few three verses, in order for us to accomplish this, requires the entirety of your life in order to do it well. 
He says, I found this one thing to be true, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but him who rose again from the dead, to live for him who died and rose again for their sins. No longer living for ourselves, but living for Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live in faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. This life that Jesus said, if anyone wants to save their life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, the entirety of your life, for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And when you give your life to Jesus, he takes it. And so the entirety of my life is a demonstration of an awareness of the worthiness of God. And so I need to make choices that are different than the choices that I make that satisfy and indulge myself. Because I need to be responsible for Christian brothers and sisters who are in need of, and, and, and this, this is where we find our way out of, I don't have to give my whole life. If I don't know about their needs, if they seem to be okay, there's really nothing for me to do, so I'm gonna do this instead. How do you know unless you investigate? How do you know unless you pray? How do you know unless you're paying attention? Who are you gonna call this afternoon? Who are you gonna contact out of love? Who is God gonna put in your heart? Are you scared? Am I scared to sit down after we go home and ask God, who, who do I need to minister to? Who is it that I didn't see today that I need to, to reach out to? If I do that, he'll tell me somebody. He'll put names in my mind. I need to call them. I won't be able to do the things I would normally do. But those things aren't of the value of the wordiness of a God who called me. It's amazing that he called me. It's extraordinary. It doesn't make sense. It's incomprehensible that he called me out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But he did. And my response is to walk in a way that represents I know what happened, I know what was going to happen, and I know what he's doing, and I want to be very much a part of it. And I want to do it in the way that he has prescribed for me to do it. That's why. He did these things. That's why this instruction is here. That's the example Paul gave us. And he told us to join in following his example. And I'm encouraging us, First Bilingual, to do just that. Join in following Paul's example. To be careful, effective, improving lovers of others in a way that honors God, in a way that is representative, worthy of the one who gave himself for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't know each other the way that you know us. So scripture says you are intimately acquainted with every aspect of our lives. And, and it's encouraging and comforting to know that you love us like that. But... We need to represent you. And as a congregation, as an individual, none of us can do it. But as a congregation, we can do it so much better. I pray you would give us a heart to accomplish your purposes, Lord, investigating each other's lives, paying attention to each other's lives, being connected to one another in a way that demonstrates uh, the love that a father would give. 
encouraging and exhorting as necessary. What is, what is fitting, Lord? We want to do that which is fitting for the moment and accomplish with the words and the transactions and the actions that you have for us to do what Jesus would accomplish in his glory and his name, Lord. That's who we want to be. And we can't do that if we're distracted by the things of this world. Help us, Lord, to recognize when we're giving value and worth to something that is not of value and is worthless and does never give what it promises, Lord. It is a deception and a distraction, and it keeps us from doing all that you have called us to do. May we be a church, Lord. May we be a church, Lord, who understands that giving our lives to you is something that requires the entirety of our lives. And may we have hearts that are prepared to give the entirety of our lives and not hold back anything so that you can be glorified in, in all that we are because of all that you've done. We pray in Christ's name.